Welcome to the pod. This is High and Low with me, Bravo Bravo Ducking Bravo. We're going to talk about a couple different things today. We're going to talk about the last episode of Beverly Hills. We're going to talk a little bit about the Southern charm drama that's happening right now between Olivia, Taylor, and the revelation about Thomas Ravenel strikes again every time we think we're done. We're not done, apparently. And at the end of the pod, I'm going to tell you about some movies that I've seen recently. I see movies all the time. I love movies. I grew up on movies. Movies are my best friend. They've always been there for me. And so I'm going to tell you about some movies that I saw recently, whether or not I like them, but no spoilers. And I'm going to tell you where you can see them. But let's talk about the Southern Charm drama. Get that out of the way because it's distasteful. I'm behind on Southern Charm. Choices have to be made. I do enjoy that franchise with all of its problems. It is very frustrating. So it's an easy one for me to skip when I have a full docket. Docket. That's how seriously we take our Bravo shows. It's like, who can fit on the dance card? Gotta let someone go. It's going to be the man children from Charleston, South Carolina. This this story arc of Taylor's has been, I wouldn't say it's unexpected. I'd just say it's very disappointing to see. When she first came on the show, she was dating Shep. She was young. She's obviously still young. What I mean by that is she was sort of like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and just seemed so young compared to Shep, especially. I'm not sure of the exact age gap between them, but it's substantial. Didn't have any experience in the reality TV world, was just so in love with Shep. I would say very idealistic about what he could be. I remember him talking about how he met her at a bar. She was silly. She was cute. She was coy with him. She pretended to be a, an oceanographer or something specializing in sharks. They had just like a meet cute, flirtatious vibe. He wanted to be a better man. He was in therapy. They got a dog together. And of course, he goes back to his old ways. Cheating, drinking. She tries to make a lot of excuses for him, which I think is where the problems start because it's like a raptor test in the fence. If they find a weak spot, and he can keep doing that kind of thing with her, then why would he be better, right? So they get to a horrible place. This is just how I see their relationship. They get to a place where she can't take it anymore. They break up. And the revelations of this season are whether or not she was finding love in the arms of his good friend, Austin, who always had a soft spot for her and allegedly treated her like a sister. So the focus of the season has been did they or didn't they between Austin and Taylor? And that main issue was because her BFF Olivia had a thing with Austin, however short-lived. So Taylor had to own up to also thinking about, should Austin and I be together? Which very much hurt Olivia, understandably so. And because I'm behind, I'm not sure if the answer to whether or not Taylor and Austin actually slept together was fully answered. I feel like one gave one answer, one gave another answer, or they just sort of avoided the question. I've learned to accept that I may never know the real answer to that, but who knows? I'll catch up on the episodes one day and I'll see. So to me, Taylor's like a spinning top. Men are too centered in her sense of self, in her sense of worth, but hey, it's reality TV. What do we expect? And in another episode, we did meet her mother and that episode was really startling to me, the way that her mother talked about Shep wanted him to still be with her daughter, it seemed. And it was very like, it was very literal, like Jesus take the wheel. Understanding that gave me more of a context of maybe why Taylor is the way she is. But this season, the big T 
of their reunion that they're having right now. You know, Taylor and Olivia going back and forth bickering and Taylor has something in her back pocket that she wants to share with the group. She shares a deep, dark secret of, of Olivia's. She shares that Olivia has slept with Thomas Ravenel. And that is a horrifying moment for Olivia. It's a horrifying moment for everyone there. And Olivia, of course, you know, being herself, owns it and says, yep, I was, I was home from college. I was very drunk. I was out at a bar. He's an old family friend, which makes it worse. And they had a, a one-night drunken situation. She said never before then, never after. And that was something that she was going to take to the grave. So this is rough because this is why it's so difficult in life when you want to trust somebody and you don't know if they're a broken person. And if you tell a broken person your secret, it's not a secret anymore. It's not going to be a secret for long because they're going to use it against you or for their own benefit whenever they can. And that's what we saw happen. So Taylor is smiling, proud of herself in the clips that I saw. I haven't watched the whole episode. I don't know when I'll get around to it because I'll probably be yelling and screaming and need to take gummy. But the entire time that we have known Olivia, she always talked about Thomas Ravenel's like old friend of the family, friend of the family. I'd seen photos of her with her family, with her brother, rest his soul. You know, the, the two of them standing with Thomas Ravenel. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that they all somehow knew each other growing up or, or whatever. That man is, I believe, 30 years older than her. The level of disgust for, again, about Thomas, and I don't care if he was drunk too. If you've known her since she was a kid or you're friends with her parents, if you're friends with her parents, ah. So that's the real horrifying part of that. So Taylor's like proud of herself for dropping that tea and she's got a smug look on her face and everyone else is rightly horrified. Everyone else is having a moment where they're just kind of shocked and disgusted. But again, Taylor is proud of herself for doing that. You know, Olivia gets up and on the unedited version on Peacock, she calls her an F and C word. My child's upstairs. And apparently Craig was a, a bastion for, for feminism and for uh, understanding and communicating and not treating uh, women as children Again, I haven't watched it yet, but I hear Craig has has earned his kudos from that episode. And that's great. We love to see that. Change is possible. Just because you're a piece of crap one day doesn't mean you have to be tomorrow. And I'm saying that specifically to the men of Southern Charm and anyone else. But I'll do another pod on just Southern Charm once I catch up. I'm not going to binge watch it the way I did Salt Lake City. I'm just going to watch an episode or two here and there and then catch up on the reunions. But... Yeah, there's just so much of it I want to talk about, but I feel like I need the context. Like I heard Shep say that he thought that if his relationship hadn't been televised, they might be married already. Uh, I don't know about that. Part of me wonders if he just says things that he thinks will further torture Taylor because she seemed to latch onto that. But let's get into the Beverly Hills episode. In this episode, a couple of things were key here. Erica, in the beginning of the episode, says to everybody, she tested positive for COVID. So she wasn't there the entire episode. That means, that's right, we didn't get any overly sexual comments, commentary, innuendos, blowjob talk, none of that. It was a loss. I'm sure we all felt it. 
I don't even remember the flow anymore because I watched it pretty quickly, but there's also a part where PK and Dorit have her therapist come over to try to help PK understand her PTSD that she's been going through because he seems very frustrated by it and like he doesn't understand why it's still a problem for her. He seems completely unbothered by all the things that have transpired, but he wasn't the one who was home. And, you know, she says she was held at gunpoint. That's very traumatic. So he wants to understand it. He tries to. But the things that he brings up that he has a problem with are kind of just her being high maintenance. Like they show the flashbacks to the pretty woman ad sales for the for the hotel, Reg Bevwell, and about her saying to Kyle that why don't we have like the big presidential suite and uh, nitpicking the dresses and things like that. So he brings that up. But that's not really her PTSD. But I think he's also talking about the fact that she was flustered and annoyed by the surprise and wanting to know if the kids knew and if they knew that she wasn't coming home and she just went into sort of high anxiety mode instead of excited that he did that for her slash the hotel slash the ad. But, you know, and it does get touching. He does cry, shed some tears that he just feels terrible that she's going through this. So it's it's kind of an up and down situation with the therapist. You're like, oh, PK, that's really callous. Oh, PK is crying and now it's over. So that's what that was. He did say a couple of things about her too that seemed like he was complaining that she liked nice things or that she's changed since he first met her, that she was, you know, less high maintenance when he first met her. And I'm like, well, that, you did that. And I I said this on Dame Galley's pod. It's like, I remember their first season. He was the one that seemed super flashy to me. Remember he gave her a car? He's like, babe, come on out. I've got a surprise for you. And he brings her outside and she's like, oh, Peaky. And I forget what kind of car it was, but it was something very expensive. I'm going to look it up actually. Hold on one second. Okay, I found it. I'm pretty sure this is the episode I'm thinking of where he gave her a rose gold Bentley for her 40th birthday. And it was a convertible. And fun fact, I guess she hates the color Tiffany blue, which is so interesting. She would hate Mary's kitchen. Mary on Salt Lake City just painted her kitchen Tiffany blue. I I would love to see Dorit trapped in there. Back to the Bentley, though. The estimated cost of that rose gold convertible Bentley was, back then when it happened, around $200,000. And then remember that same episode, that's when he turned their house into like Dorit's Buddha lounge. And they used to throw these big parties. Remember, she would have Boy George. She revealed like that. She was like, oh, we're doing work in our house. And that was a different episode. But she like pulled back the curtain and it was this big band. They used to really throw cash around on the show a lot. And I always felt like he was leading that charge. And then there was another episode where they all are on a yacht and she's afraid to jump in the water. I'm scared. I'm scared to jump in the water. I have children. And he's like, if you jump in, I'll buy you an Hermes Birkin bag. And so she jumps in and she like repeats it. She's like, you buy me a Birkin? And she jumps in. So this has been their thing, their shtick, always. So for him now to say it's a problem Dorit has, no, sir. No, sir. That's a problem you started as well. Not just her. She's also following your lead. You've allegedly been this huge moneymaker since the beginning. So feel free to change change what you've been telling her, but don't complain to us about what you... She's grown accustomed is what I'm saying. She's grown accustomed to a lifestyle that he initiated. And what's hilarious about this is this little article that I'm reading on this uh, this place called Romper.com. 
which is talking about this episode of Real Housewives when she got the rose gold Bentley. So funny. At the bottom of it, it says, we can only imagine what sort of production PK will throw for her big 5-0 a decade from now. We, we may not be as extravagant. Might end up being an ad of some kind. Now, there are no ads on this podcast, but I will plug something that I enjoy, which is Siete. I made tacos this week and I use Siete taco shells. They are delicious. I love them because their products are gluten-free and it's a, a family who started the brand for a relative who could not tolerate gluten. I enjoy Siete products and if they ever wanted to sponsor me, I would wear a Siete hoodie. I would do it and I would eat their chips. Not on air, that would be annoying unless you're into ASMR, in which case I would do a special pod just for you. The rest of the episode focuses a lot on 8.5 Anne's birthday. I did not pay attention to what year she was celebrating because it doesn't matter with someone who's only getting older and not wiser. They go to Ojai to uh, an olive oil shop first. And as soon as they walk in and someone's speaking Italian and the shop's name, I think, is Italian, I was like, here we go. Here we effing go. And Dorit starts jumping in speaking Italian. Hey, como se dice? E quanto costa? And she's very excited to tell the person working there that she speaks a little Italian. Or she's probably fluent. I don't know. I don't care. And Sutton says, from a distance, that poor woman. About the woman who works in the shop. And have I mentioned how much I enjoy Sutton and how much I appreciate Sutton? What will we do without her? That was just an ad lib. That was off the cuff. She didn't need to gather herself, draft material for her confessional. That was in the moment. We applaud a witty housewife. We're thankful for a witty housewife. They are few and far between these days. And andiamo. Let's go. Because there is wine to drink and toes to lick. That was just, that was not even the highlight of Sutton for that episode. That's right. Toes to lick for anyone who missed it. We see them playing a game, I think a winery. They're all sitting around this beautiful table with linens and flowers and things. And they start playing a game, kind of daring each other to do stuff. And something comes up, someone pulls a card and is like, I dare someone to lick someone's foot. And I think it was to Kyle and she wouldn't do it. And without skipping a beat, Dorit says, I'll do it. And she's all excited to do it. And everyone's like, no, that's gross. Don't do it. So she rushes over to Kyle's little foot. Because she's a tiny person. She's 5'2", so her foot's got to be, I don't know, a size 6. She gets all the good stuff on sale whenever there's a shoe sale. She puts her tiny foot in the air. Now, a foot that's, I think, I didn't even notice what kind of shoe she's wearing, but I think it was like a sandal. You know, Kyle. It was something expensive, but I don't think there was a sock. I don't think she had to take a sock off. And Sutton licks her toe and Dorit screamed the way I screamed. It was a moment. And that, that makes Sutton kind of enjoy it more. And I thought to myself... What page is that in the American Ballet Member Handbook? Exactly. What section? Is that before or after the part where they tell you to shun male stripping? We kid, though. We love Sutton. We love her inconsistencies. It makes her who she is. Anyway, Sutton, Sutton licks the dirty toe with a smile, and then she says in her confessional, I regret nothing. <laughs> now, I've said it once, and I'll say it again. Someone at Bravo has a foot fetish. I'm basing this on years of watching all of the shows, especially Beverly Hills, and having feet zoomed in on or featured where they did not need to be. I just know that that same person with the foot fetish planted the lick someone's foot card 
I bet that wasn't even in there. I bet it said something completely different. And it was like a sticker they had made to just stick right on top of that card. And they put it right at the top, like, mm, let's make sure that this is card number two, just to get the rocks off. That's my theory. But it was such a fun time. And I think that's twice now that we've just had this fun, laughing, lighthearted moment. Last week, it was Sutton Garcelle and Erica going out for a drink, having a giggle. This time, it was Sutton, Kyle, and others having a giggle. What's the constant in both of those, Sutton? Really, honestly, she's a good time. And I love that we're getting to this place where we can have fun on this show again. And I'll say it again, it's, I really think it's, it's Lisa Renna not being there. Not being there dragging us all down into chaos and madness. It's just so fun. It's so fun to see the ladies laugh and have a good time every now and then. Now, also at that lunch, an odd thing happens out of nowhere, unprompted, moment of silence. Kyle just says to Dorit, would you ever date a woman? Just like that. And Dorit is shocked, of course. She's taken aback. She's like, oh, oh, oh. And the question circles back to Kyle and they say, would you? And she says, hmm, yeah. And we're like, okay. All right, Kyle. Okay, Kyle. And I just don't know what Kyle's doing exactly. I don't know if she's trying to, especially to Dorit, I don't know if she's trying to sort of warm Dorit up to the concept of this, you know, but I feel like the world is not where Kyle thinks it is. I don't think anyone cares so much anymore. Like it's 2024. Just be with someone nice. Hold hands with a nice person as we walk into climate change and the apocalypse. No one cares. Be happy. But it is odd to think back that just a few seasons ago, the way they raked Denise Richards over the coals about her alleged tryst with Brandy, right? And the part that I remember the most about that that I will never forget is that it was Kyle's house where Kim and Brandy came over. Teddy was there. They all were dishing in a bedroom like they were, you know, 13-year-olds having a sleepover. And Brandy tells them that she had this, you know, alleged tryst with Denise and all this stuff about it. And Teddy looks at Brandy and says, quote, you mean like kiss? As if it was just, just like this bad line that she had rehearsed, this innocent line of like, well, that's all two women would do together, right? And it's like, Teddy... Teddy. And they had to calmly get some puppets and show Teddy how things, they didn't really do that. But they had to explain to Teddy, like, no, like a two grown, when two grownups um, have a couple of shots. So to think back and realize that Kyle orchestrated that whole thing, probably likely because she's a producer, kind of. Then she's in this situation a few years later. It's, uh, we've come a long way, is what I'll say. We've come a long way. And Kyle makes a point of saying in the episode that there were Two people that she's super close with that she talks to every single day. Her best friend who recently passed was one of those people. And now those people are Teddy and Morgan. So hopefully Teddy has learned more about the world than she knew a couple of years ago as well. The other big moment of the show, the main focus of the show, which actually didn't even happen until the last couple of minutes of the show, 10, 15 minutes of the show, was Kyle throwing this celebration of life for her best friend growing up, Laureen, who died of suicide last year. It was the one-year anniversary of her passing. I was warned that it was going to be an emotional end to the episode. So going in, I had braced myself and I was like, I'm not going to cry. It's going to be fine. 
But the second that Maureen's mother was shown and she hugged Kyle, I lost it. I lost it in a big way. And there's just something about, you know, having children now being a mother and seeing her mother feeling that level of grief. I was, I was done. I was done for the rest of the episode. I was crying. Her children were there. Uh, all their children were there. And Kyle shows up early and she shows up with Morgan Wade. And Morgan is going to play songs after Kyle gives a speech. And so she's preparing herself to do that. And Kyle is running around and making sure that everything is nice. And I'm glad that Morgan was there because to without even trying to, she shook me out of my sadness because there were so many moments that were unintentionally funny because Morgan was there. And so I was very appreciative she was there. One of those moments was when they're getting there, they're setting things up. Kyle has hugged Lorraine's mother. Morgan starts to play on stage to probably test the AV and all that stuff. And Kyle is mid-sentence with the party planner. And as soon as Morgan strums a note and starts to sing, Kyle's like, shh, shh, shh. No, no, I have to hear this. And she runs over and just watches Morgan sing. And there should be a word stronger than watch. Gazes upon would be more accurate. Drinks in visually would also describe it better. You like visually consumes. She was very into it is what I'm saying. She loved it. It would be like if your favorite artist started playing a song, the song you love the most, and you ran over and just got to stare at them from the front row. That's how it felt. It was, it was intense. It was also adorable. You could tell she was very into it and she couldn't hide it. Couldn't, didn't want to, didn't matter. She loved it. She loved the song. She loved the singer, songwriter, all of it. And again, we don't know. There's no confirmation and we don't care what the complete nature of their relationship is. Kyle lights up like a light bulb with E.T. touching it when Morgan is in the room and it's a beautiful sight to behold. And you're thinking, what an event. What an event. What a celebration. What a moment. What could ruin it? And the answer to that is 8.5 Anne, Kyle's soldier 8.5 Anne, who is like the Terminator. Have you seen this boy? Will not stop. Just running full speed after a car without breathing about the esophagus. Just fixated on getting Sutton by the throat, literally and physically. So by this point, when 8.5 Anne becomes a problem, things are going well. People are arriving, they're having a snack, they're having a drink. 8.5 Anne is sitting sandwiched between Garcelle and Crystal. They're making nice conversation. It's a lovely day. And then out of nowhere, 8.5 Anne says, not to change the subject, but, and in that split moment, I said, there's no way. There's no way that she's going to bring up the esophagus. That would be so ridiculous and comical and silly and like best in show. She just wouldn't do it. There's a million other things to talk about. They're at the celebration of life. That's not going to be what she says. Yes, it was. Yes, it was what she said. She brought up this. She said, I hate, I know I'm beating this to death about the esophagus, but, and the look on Crystal and Garcelle's face, it was like someone sucked all of the oxygen out of the room. She has no social awareness though, because she didn't, she either didn't notice or didn't care that she was a physical representation of a bucket of ice water on just a cozy afternoon in the sunshine. She ruined the entire moment and she just kept going. 
talking about how she studied up on this. She pulled out all her medical books, to which I say, sure, Jan. She starts going off on what's possible and what's not possible in a small esophagus this and small esophagus that. And then she brings up eating disorder. She says, well, you know, this could be, this could be, um, you know, the side effect of an eating disorder. And Crystal, you can tell that she is not going to let that slide. And she turns and she says, let's not be speculating on eating disorders. To that 8.5 Anne utters, I didn't say eating disorder. You brought that up. And I realized in that moment, you know, she likes to tell us she was an athlete and that fits because she is a pro at gaslighting. She probably has a medal from gaslighting competitions. And Crystal tries. She says, no, you just said, you just said eating disorder. And Anne pushes back and Crystal and Garcelle, they realize it's not the time of the place because I'm yelling. I'm like, get her. But it's not the time of the place. They ha- And that's so frustrating to know that they're hearing literal crazy talk and they can't do anything about it. So they just disperse. And I think that experience would shake anybody out of the situation of remembering where you are and what's going on. And you could tell Garcelle was, ugh. So she walks over to Sutton and is like, man, 8.5 Anne, she's really still gunning for you. And we forget for a minute that Sutton is at this event. It's very meaningful to her. Her father passed from suicide 20 plus years prior. And, you know, Garcelle bringing that up probably wasn't the best to do it at that event. But also a good friend would come tell you, I think. A good friend would come say, hey, even at this event that you think is the serious event, untouchable, she's still over there trying to eat rope and wind with this esophagus situation. So Sutton rightly says, like, she better not come for me on this day at this time at this event. And thankfully she didn't. Thankfully that was the end of it. I'm sure it will not be the last we hear of it, though. Which, again, is just so frustrating. And I don't know uh, why the housewives, the haters, the hater housewives can't realize that what you talk about is what you are to us, the viewers. So if this is like your big champion thing, that's all, that's all we got of you. You didn't crack a joke. You weren't interesting to us. You didn't tell us something cool about yourself. We didn't learn why you should stick around. All we know is you are a dog with a bone on this issue. You won't let it go. It's inappropriate. It's wrong. A medical professional or not, you should not be speculating, gaslighting somebody's medical condition that they are managing between them and their doctor. This is not Brooks faking cancer. You are not MKE. This is not true detective. But Anne ain't right. I'm just going to say it. She's not my cup of tea at all. And there's an after show that Bravo does now, right? Because we we don't have enough content to keep up with, but there's an after show and I don't know exactly when it's taped. And that's to say, I don't know if it's taped closer to when they film or if it's taped like a week ago. I have no idea, but I know it's more recent than not. And they ask people about what they're seeing on the show and things like that, uh, kind of one-on-one. Like they'll do Sutton and Garcelle together. Uh, this one that I saw was a clip of 8.5 Anne by herself and they were asking her something about her husband. I don't know how it came up, what the segue was, but the topic was about how it's okay that her husband likes posts on social media of women and their photos and stuff, and I guess also follows them because he's so honest with her about which women he has slept with. 
So if they're walking down the street, even he'll just be like, I've slept with her. And then she's like, good, thank you for telling me. And then for that reason, does not get mad or whatever that he is liking and following posts from other women online. I have a lot to say about that. First of all, wow. Also, what? And I'm asking myself, does 8.5 Anne have sisters, brothers? Does anyone else hear this and throw a flag? Are we the only ones in her life that will be honest with her? But she's not going to listen to it anyway. I get that everyone's different. And it takes all kinds. But respectfully, hell to the no. Hell to the no of your husband who's already rated you an 8.5. Fine, you don't care about that. Let's set that aside. Let's put a pin in that. We'll circle back on that later. You don't care that your husband is liking and following women online because he's told you that he slept with them. <laughs> Maybe it's the Latina in me. Maybe it's the fire sign. Maybe I was just raised differently. But there ain't no way. As we discussed in the last pod, he has a past that doesn't seem to sparkle. And she seems happy to be treated how most of us would consider grounds for divorce. She says the craziest things with a very excited face. She makes me sad. I hope she wakes up one day and realizes she's better than that. But we do what we can. We don't let her drive us to madness. We must move on. That's just some interesting context. That is all messed. It's all messed up. It's a huge mess. It's a tangle of Christmas lights that will never be untangled. Throw it away. One and done. But something I wonder about is, has any franchise given us more one and dones than Beverly Hills? I don't know. Because when I think about one and dones, I think about Beverly Hills. I think about Diana, one and done, belly flop, get out of here. And then someone reminded me in DM of one and done that I had blocked out, which was Joyce. Joyce was the one, she had so much hair. I was very envious. It was like a literal pony. Like her hair was so thick and so it was beautiful. She was very high energy. She wanted it badly, but she only lasted one season, Joyce. Then I also remembered Peggy. So we got Diana, Joyce, Peggy. Oh my God, Peggy. And Peggy recently resurfaced because she stole a woman's salad. <laughs> You're like, what are you talking about? There's a chef on TikTok who makes food and they show it beautiful, like takes, I'm sure, I don't even know what it takes to set up that lighting so that the food looks beautiful and the camera just right and it shows the hands making the salad. Peggy took that video, I have a post about it on my Instagram, and she put it on her Instagram stories from this lady's TikTok and was like, look at my salad. Like, lady, it's not your salad. And the chef somehow saw it. Someone sent it to her. Look, it's a small world. It's flat now. You can't get away with stealing people's content. You just can't. But Peggy tried. She tried it. Like, how lazy do you have to be? And I'm sure she would blame some social media. Why do you need a social media person, Peggy? What you doing? Doesn't make any sense at all. But how embarrassing. How truly embarrassing to steal somebody's salad content. Oof. And then I think that woman Sassoon Eden, Eden Sassoon. There's been a lot of one and dones that come out of Beverly Hills. I might have to put a poll up or a question thing and be like, how many one and dones can you think of? Somebody at Bravo has this spreadsheet. Somebody knows 
what franchises are famous for giving us the one and dones. And I think if we get one more one and done, which I know we are going to get with 8.5 and, they need to just go ahead and release some candidates to the Bravo sphere and let us pick because we know a winner when we see one. I know that we can pick one better than these casting folks. Plus, they get to take a day off, go golfing, get a tan, get a massage, let us pick. Blame us if it doesn't work out. But okay, back to the event. It was very serious. There were many things going on, and 8.5 Ann tried to throw a wrench in the game. Then Kyle's speech. Her speech was great. She talked about being friends with Lorene from the time they were children, her attributes that she was funny and charming and just such a good friend to her. Her kids were crying. Her mom was crying. I'm crying. It's all very moving. She had some funny moments. Um, and then she ends by saying, you know, and tonight we're going to have Morgan Wade play a couple songs for us and she's crying. Everyone's crying. And during the speech, there's a moment where she talks about how difficult suicide is, losing someone to suicide is. And Garcelle is sitting next to Sutton and she doesn't look over at her or anything. She just, I'm going to start crying right now. Mm. She just reaches her hand over and places her hand on Sutton's. And again, these two are real friends who actually care about each other. And I think that's so important to any of these franchises. We've seen Beverly Hills have this Fox Force 5, you know, between Erica, Teddy, Lisa Renna, Kyle. Who was the other one? Who's the fifth? Oh, Dorit. I forgot you were there. Dorit's the fifth one. And that was this pinky promise thing they did to have each other's backs. It was, it was essentially, it was a click. It was an alliance and it had to be busted up because that's no way to run a show. Like at least be sneaky about it. Like bringing Anne, 8.5 Anne on and looking into your little compact, pretending you're putting lipstick on, but you're telling her what words to say. Like be a little sneakier with us. But things like that, like the Fox Force 5, that's not real. We don't need that. We don't want that. We rebuke that. We want real friendships like Garcelle and Sutton and like the New York ladies had, uh, you know, some of the Orange County ladies had it, Potomac ladies. What any Anytime you can think of a really good franchise, I guarantee you it's because there are real friendships there. So that was very touching. And Sutton, they have a couple of moments from her from a confessional where she's talking about lessons that she's learned after losing her father years and years ago. And some of those lessons are to not second guess yourself and keep asking yourself, what could I have done differently? And what if I had done this or that? And then to talk about someone who has passed sort of in the current tense saying, they are proud of me. They are here, not they would have been. And I thought that was really, really nice. And Sutton is obviously still emotional about the loss of her father so many years ago, as we all are about a loved one. Time doesn't dull that pain. You just learn to live with it. So I'm watching this and I'm crying and it's very emotional. And she introduces Morgan and Morgan gets up on stage and she starts to sing a song that is so sexual that it just slapped me right out of my sadness. And for that, I was grateful. The lyrics were like, I said this on Dame Galley's pod, the lyrics were like, I'm going to lay you down on the kitchen floor. We're going to do some things we never did before. It was my loose rendition. I'm sure the lyrics are better than that. But it was like that. 
It was, and you know, Kyle's just staring into her eyes. But Morgan says a few words too. And she says how grateful she is to have someone like Kyle in her life. And they're really just looking into each other's eyes. And it felt meaningful. And I honestly felt myself being thankful that Kyle had Morgan there and that that was bringing her such joy because who wasn't there? Mauricio. Mauricio was nowhere to be found, which I, which was really shocking to me. Like I get it. They're probably, you know, the separation, whatever they're trying to make sure that we know that they're having a rocky time right now. Still this, we know how much this person meant to Kyle. And so that he, he wasn't there was really sort of like, okay, I feel like that is something you don't come back from not having gone to this and been there to support her because all of her daughters were there. They were all there to support her, to be there with her, her daughters, her friends, all of it was there. Just Mauricio was the only one not there. And then it got interesting when Dorit did a confessional, the one where she's wearing like a scarf top and she's got like these ribbon braids on either side of her face. I don't know what we're doing, but at least she's having fun with it. And she says, oh, I met Morgan years ago. And I'm like, years ago? Years ago? She said, we met her years ago at a dinner. Did she say in London? I'm going to have to rewatch. She says, I met her years ago to dinner with Kyle Mauricio, her PK. I'm like, that's odd. And she makes a point of saying that Morgan stuck out like a sore thumb. Because you blend. I was yelling lines from my Uncle Vinny. Oh, because you blend. And she makes sure to add that that was one of the last times. Oh, oh, you know what? Oh, coincidentally, that's one of the last times we we also hung out with, with Mauricio and Kyle together as well. Oh, did that just strike you? You just remembered that? Hmm, interesting. And again, watching Beverly Hills, I feel like I am just Sam Kinison in Back to School in the scene where he's like, say it, say it. Like everyone just say it. I think everybody's just like tiptoeing around this thing. And I think it's a matter of time. Dorit wants to say it. Dorit's making faces. There's a point where Morgan and Kyle are there and they're eating fruit. God, cut fruit is the is the uncredited housewife of this season, but they're eating fruit off of skewers, fruit skewers, okay? And we learn something about Kyle, which is she doesn't like melon. Hmm, all right, the irony. And so every time she gets melon, she's feeding it to Morgan in Morgan's little mouth, like a little bird. She's given, she's like, I don't like this one. And Morgan, I chomp. She's like, and I don't like this one. Morgan's like, you don't like melon and chomp. And Dorit's just watching. She's watching and she's making faces. I thought it was adorable. But you know, Dorit's a little upset that she's not the one getting fed fruit, I guess. I don't know what, I don't know what she wants here. But she's sad that she's no longer super close with Kyle. Now, I remember back in the day, and I know y'all do too, when Dorit wanted to be LVP's closest confidant, as I think... The reason Dorit's on the show is because PK was friends with LVP and their British sense of humor. Oh, the British sense of humor, which is just being mean. It's just being a little meaner than anyone else. And it's okay. It's it's fine. But it's not like it's a whole nother kind of humor. It's like a gentle roast. That's what I think of when I think of a British sense of humor, a gentle roast. So I think Dorit, for me, I wonder if it's more about the friendship or the foothold on the show. It's a question I ask myself. I don't have the answer to it. 
And a couple different times during the episode, Kyle said things like she might be might be realizing that she doesn't enjoy Beverly Hills as much, which is shocking coming from the person who's like, in this town, in my town, in Beverly Hills, for all of her intros for the past like decade, I feel like Los Angeles, specifically Beverly Hills, even though she lives in Encino, let's asterisk that. Let's not confuse things. She lives in Encino. So does 8.5 Anne. It's Real Housewives of Encino for the most part. I think Sutton lives in Bel Air, if I'm not mistaken, which if you ask me, I think Bel Air is a step up from Beverly Hills. That's just my opinion. I lived there forever ago. I, things might have changed, but you go to the Hotel Bel Air, you go to the Hotel Beverly Hills, you tell me which one you like better. The Beverly Hills Hotel and Bungalows are very nice, but the Hotel in Bel Air is a class of its own to me. Have I ever stayed there? I have not. Did I once go to a very expensive brunch to treat my mother when she was coming in from out of town and we sat next to a person playing a harp? overlooking a pond and a water feature. We sure did. And it was nice. It was so nice. I still think about it. But Kyle starts talking about in this episode, I might want to live a quieter life. I enjoy being outdoors. I want to go on a hike. I want to enjoy my life. I want a slower pace kind of a vibe. And they show photos of her, you know, on a kayak and doing some other things. And she seems very happy and at peace. To which I say, go be happy. Get out of the rat race. You don't need to do all the shopping you do, although I think she would still do shopping. She said that she goes shopping every single day. She buys something every single day. Can you imagine? I can't. And then there's paparazzi photos of her and Morgan Wade. I think they came out today. If not today, then yesterday of them, I believe, in Aspen. And they're ring shopping on Kyle's birthday at a jewelry store, just the two of them. Again, these shows take it out of you because you watch on TV and then with social media, you got a whole nother thread to keep up with. So that's what we're here for. But Kyle is very close to all of her children graduating from high school, going off to college. I think Portia, I can't remember what grade she's in, but I think she just turned 15 or something. So, you know, Kyle might be getting herself ready to have a different kind of life. She's clocked in as a mother and a homemaker and a caretaker for a very long time. And I, for one, am all about people having a second career, a second chance at life, uh, do whatever you want to do. Cut ties for Mauricio. If that's what you want to do, go be happy. It's never too late. You're never too old. But that was the main focus of the episode. So it really was sort of like, and I always joke that it's the Kyle show, but it kind of was, and it kind of still is a little bit right now, the Kyle show. That was the main focus. And there was an account online this week. I think it was Bywig Hello Drama that put up a clip from five or six seasons ago. Feels like it was yesterday. Time is flying. Whatever project you want to do, start it now because time flies. But it was a clip of when Kyle went to go visit Mauricio at the agency and her two daughters were currently working there. One was interning, the other one was working there and they're all eating salad. I'm sure you remember this scene. And she's talking to Mauricio about how she wants him to work less. And the daughters say something like, I think it's Alexia who says something like, the more he works now, the more he doesn't have to work later. And Mauricio says, yeah, I mean, the way that I'm working this pace, I've got maybe four or five more years of this, and then we're really going to enjoy life. And Kyle's like, okay, you know, okay, we can do that. I can do that. She's like, because we really don't see a lot of each other and you're working so much. And she was still 
acting and doing things like that on her own. And she would be trying to make sure that she filmed in town and not travel. So they would all be together. And her daughters were saying, they're like, no, we're fine. We all have enough balance. And she's like, respectfully, like I'm married to him. So I'll, I'll be the one to say when we have enough balance, but okay, we can do four or five more years of this. That was six years ago. So the point of sharing that clip was saying, look, four to five years is what they said that they were going to do as far as working this hard. And now look at them. And I don't think you ever take your foot off the gas when you're going that fast and you're making that much money. Or is it an issue of it's not what you make, it's what you save? Like maybe they started spending more because they were making more and so they couldn't walk away. And it's just the question of like, how much is enough money? What are your goals really? Were they always going to grow apart? Or did his working so much and not being home the way that she told him it was a problem and something that she didn't enjoy four to five years ago just keep building? So I really thought that clip was interesting. I shared it to my stories. I'll do it again in a minute here just so that it's up on Monday when this drops. I mean, other than the toe licking and the commemoration of life and PK and Dorit at therapy, not a ton happened in that episode. So now I'm going to give you some movie and show recommendations that I've you know, been seeing over the past two weeks and been wanting to tell you all about. First of all, Saltburn. I'm sure you've heard about it. I'm sure you've seen a meme. I'm sure you've heard some inside jokes or seen a TikTok or what have you. Saltburn is so good. I highly recommend that you watch it. It is different. It is an instant cult classic. Without spoiling anything, it reminds me of the vibe of like a Heathers meets the talented Mr. Ripley, but with more guts, with more gusto. I knew I was probably going to like it because the director slash screenwriter is a woman named Emerald Fennel. Such a cool name. Emerald, like the, like the stone, the gemstone, and then Fennel, like Fennel you grow in your garden. And with two L's though. And she directed A Promising Young Woman, which I absolutely loved. And that struck me as another kind of cult classic. The music, the acting, all of it, the cinematography, the color schemes. I thought everything was so well done with that movie. The lighting, like, don't get me started. I thought everything in that movie was very well thought out and great. And she did the same with Saltburn. You could tell there was thought behind every choice made. Not that that doesn't apply to every movie, but not always. And if you've ever watched the show, the crown, you have seen her because Emerald Fennel played the younger version of Camilla. So she's an actress as well as screenwriter and director, and she's very talented. But the movie is described as a dark comedy psychological thriller. There's nothing, you know, super scary in it. You're not going to jump and scream, but there are definitely moments that are, they go to dark places, but I liked the movie as a whole a lot. It questions wealth, generational wealth, classism. It takes place in uh, the 2000s, I believe. She went like 20 years back to set the movie. And so people are wearing like a Livestrong bracelet, the clothes, the music, all of it. And the basic outline is a normal person with normal income, working class family goes to spend a summer with this guy who has a lot of money. He's an aristocrat. His family's estate is called Saltburn. That's why that's the name of the movie. Also, Rosamund Pike is in it. I love her. I'll watch anything that she's in from 
Pride and Prejudice back in the early 2000s to Gone Girl. I think she's amazingly talented. She does so well in the role that she's given here as the mother. Um, she's just great. And it's one of those movies where the more you think about it, the more you look back on it or watch it again, you see that everything had a meaning or a hidden meaning. I love that. I love that. So Saltbird is great. I give it two thumbs up from me. And it's on Amazon Prime is where I watched, I believe, No Charge. I think it's just part of it. All right, next movie that I'm going to talk about is called Nyad, N-Y-A-D. And I watched that on Netflix, No Charge, part of Netflix. And it's so good. It's with Jodie Foster and Annette Bening, two people that I consider some of the greatest actors of our of our time. And they're wonderful in this. And this is a movie about Diana Nyad, who in her 20s was like a long distance swimmer. And she tried two or three times to make the swim from Cuba to Florida, 110 mile open ocean swim. And she had like a shark cage and some other things, could not make it in her 20s. She retired, she gave up and she was living, I believe in Florida, having a great life. And then when she's 60 years old, she decides she's going to try again. It's extremely inspiring. It's motivating. It's a movie that I'm definitely going to play while I work out. Like, I'm sorry, you can't lift this dumbbell one more time. This woman's swimming in the open ocean. One of the parts I liked best about it was that they delve into what it takes mentally, the mental strength to do something like that, because her team is on the boat looking at her, but she's in the water in a cone of silence by herself, just swimming. And so you have to keep your mind engaged and so her thing was singing songs to herself over and over. But of course, she thinks about things from her life. And the movie goes into that, too. It's just very, very good. I hadn't seen Annette Benning in a minute. And it just reminded me of why I've always thought she was one of the best. Same with Jodie Foster. Although Jodie Foster is also currently in True Detectives, which is why I mentioned that early in the pod. It's on the brain. It's a new series of True Detective on HBO. And they do such a good job with a true detective series. My favorite is probably still going to be the first one that they ever did, which was with Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Very good. Dark, scary, but good. And I'm sure this next round is going to be the same. Dark, scary, but good. And literally dark because this true detective series takes place in Alaska during the month where there's no sunlight, where they're in darkness. So it's called True Detective Night Country. And it aired this weekend. So when Bravo is driving you crazy or you just need a break from rich ladies fighting amongst each other, there's always so much good TV and shows to watch these days. It's, it's kind of amazing. I don't think there's ever been a time in human history where there's more stories available to us told in such creative ways, beautiful ways. So hopefully you all are taking advantage of that. Although I am sick and tired of everything costing $5, $7, $14. You know, in the beginning, we we're like, oh, this is going to be so much better than cable. Is it? Because I feel like I'm still paying for cable, but I'm also paying for all these things on the side. And no, I don't write it all down and look at it because I know it would depress me to look at it. I have no idea what it all totals up to, but I'm sure it's a lot. And someone has done the math. Don't tell me. Comedy stuff. Golden Globes were this week. It's award season. All right. So a lot of these award shows, it's like, you know, being in Hunger Games and watching the Capitol. People are dressed fancy. They're getting awards. They're having good times. And there was a comedian who hosted the Golden Globes named Joe Coy. People were very excited to see him host. They were excited for this opportunity that he was given. And he used the opportunity to tell some misogynistic jokes that did not go over well. Starlets were holding their faces in their hands. 
people were not laughing. And I appreciated that people weren't laughing. They pan to, to Ryan Gosling's face and he doesn't give him a pity laugh. Nobody else in the audience was giving him a pity laugh, but there was laughter. So the theory, the running theory is that they were playing a laugh track. And I think 10, 15 years ago, people would have given him the pity laughs. People would have made him feel okay for writing those jokes. But I was encouraged by the fact that people did not feel the need to do that now. I was super disappointed to see that jokes like that were being made in the year of Barbie. In the year of the Taylor Swift tour, like in the year of the Beyonce tour, it's women are driving the economy like never before. People are crediting the Barbie movie with saving movies. The ticket sales were so high for Barbie. The ticket sales were so high for Taylor Swift's movies and for her concerts. And yet a man gets on stage with his big opportunity and he tells a joke about a plastic doll with big boobies, but praises Oppenheimer. That's a problem. Let him feel. Let him feel the wrath. Let him feel that it wasn't funny and it didn't land. Now, the just the really disappointing part on top of disappointing is that he could feel that it wasn't going well. So instead of turning it into a joke on himself or having fun with that, he reacted with uh, frustration and a little bit of anger and said, "Well, you know, some I wrote these. Some some of these I wrote and some I didn't. And my writers wrote some of these. And uh, you're laughing at the ones that I wrote. Well, that stinks." For all the people who are like, hey, mom, make sure you tune into the to the Golden Globes because I finally got a gig writing jokes for this comedian who's going to host mom. Make sure, <laughs> make sure you watch. And the comedian's like, oh, you're not laughing at those? My writer wrote those. Like, those are people, too. Those are people, too. And shame on whoever produced the show. Shame on whoever heard those jokes and greenlit them. You know, at the end of the day. The buck has to stop somewhere. And just like we demand accountability from the housewives, same for the comedian holding the mic. If you didn't think they were funny, you shouldn't have said them. And so to me, that was super cringe to blame your writers. If anybody doesn't watch, there's a great show. I believe it's on it's on HBO or Showtime. I can't even think right now because I'm tired. It's like two in the morning. But it's called Hacks. And it's about a stand-up comedian woman who's older and she's doing like the Vegas circuit and she needs fresh material. So she hires a young writer and it's about their relationship spanning the generations and getting to know each other. It's such a good show. I cannot recommend it enough. So just if you if you watch that show, if you have any kind of concept of how a comedian does their work to blame their writer who's just trying to make rent, like they probably wrote something that you wanted. Like you don't just write something in a vacuum. It's a it's an effort together. It it was very irritating, but that happened. And the next day I saw a couple of different people, all men, excusing it, saying, comedy's hard. And I would argue that laying brick is hard. I would argue that fixing cars is hard. Comedy sounds uh, like an adventure compared to that. And it's one that Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, and Ricky Gervais have somehow managed to master in that same forum. So it can be done when you punch up, not down. Anyway, hopefully everybody learns from that because ratings are all people care about. So if nobody's having a good time, that's not good. We want people to still want to be part of the Capitol and want to wear the fancy dresses and go to those events. And if if the proletariat is looking at them saying, mm, I'm glad I wasn't in that room, that's not good. Whatever helps them sell soap at the end of the day. But all the famous people are going to be just fine. I promise they will. 
Small, unsponsored creators like myself, however, do need a little bit of help. So feel free to follow and like the pod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is Bravo Bravo Ducking Bravo across all platforms. And don't be like 8.5 Ann. If your husband's going to tell you he's following and liking posts from women online that he slept with after also rating you at only an 8.5? Get that on tape. Get it to a good lawyer and get half.